Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the heat, uh, even though it should be winter weather. Uh, Lord, we thank you anyway that you woke us up again for another morning that we can uh, glorify you. I pray that as family goes home, um, that we'll remember the reason for this whole season, uh, and that we'll remember the culmination of all of it was when you died on the cross for us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
please come forward for the children's sermon and please turn and greet your neighbor. Good morning. How is everybody? Did y'all have a good Christmas? Oh my goodness. I like her. Her name's Brynn, right? Mm-hmm. She's pretty. Well, I'm glad y'all are here this morning. I want to ask you a question. Have you guys ever lost anything or misplaced anything? Have you? I have. What's something you've misplaced or lost? A tooth. That's a good one. Yeah. What about something that your mom or dad are like, you need to find that right now. Go look for it. Anything like that? Have you ever lost? What have, what have you lost? Oh. Oh. Really? So it's a sister story. Somebody lost their jacket. Yeah, that's happened to me before too. Actually, right now I can't find my Kindle. It's somewhere in the house, I know. Well... Anyway, I'm going to tell you a story about one time Mary and Joseph lost something, but it was a little more special and important than a Kindle or a jacket or car keys. They lost Jesus. Can you believe that? They were traveling with some friends and family. And, you know, back then, how do you think they traveled? Yeah, either by foot or with animals, you're right. And they had been walking and walking, and they were going to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. And they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. And so they got really scared. Do you think your parents would be afraid if they couldn't find you? That's a scary feeling for a mom or a dad. So anyway, you know what they did? They stopped and they retraced their steps. Has your mom or dad ever said that when you lost something? Like, think the last time where you were when you had that. And so they retraced their steps and they looked for him for three days. And guess where he was? He was in his father's house. He was in the temple, and he was listening to some teachers, and he was asking questions and learning, and guess what? Even though he was somewhere that was a pretty good place to be, how do you think Mary and Joseph felt? <laughs> yeah, mad. They were probably really excited. They found him and relieved, but they were also really angry. Like, why would you do this to us? We were scared to death. And Jesus' Jesus' response was, well, you should have known where I was. I was in my father's house. Because even, even at the age of 12, Jesus knew what his life was going to be like, what path he was on, okay? So what I wanted you to, to think about today is that even though that Christmas is over and some of you may have already started to put away your presents and pack up your Christmas tree and all those decorations, that we don't want to lose Jesus in our hearts. Just because the Christmas season's over and we're getting back to our daily lives, we don't want to lose Jesus. So what are some ways we can make sure that we don't lose him? We could pray together. Yep, prayer. What's another way we can make sure that we don't lose Jesus? Or if we do, we do lose him one day or for a week we get really busy and we forget to pray. What's something we can do to find him again? We could read our Bibles. 
Mm-hmm. We could pray. We could come to church, come to Sunday school, okay? So just because the Christmas season is over, I want to encourage all of you to make sure that you still have Jesus in your heart, okay? If you'll bow your heads and pray with me, please. Dear Lord, please help us to remember Jesus and make sure that he's with us in our everyday lives and help us not lose sight of him in our daily routines. And it's in your name we pray, amen. this morning to pray for a good 2016 for a family and for our church and to pray for the tornado victims of Texas and I'll tell you about Adam Wycliffe Adam was when in Sumter visiting Samantha's parents and has a had a seizure while he was there uh, it was very frightening to them um, they were just minutes from the hospital and so they got to the hospital very quickly um, he got great care he's had a couple tests and uh, he's coming home today. He was texting me last night, messing with me. Um, I was texting Samantha to see how he was doing, and he got on and started going back and forth with me. And so he's feeling better, um, and they'll just be assessing him going forward. He's going to be working from home a good bit until he can drive. You have to hit a certain benchmark before you can drive. And so um, of the 999 things we ask him to do, around the church. We're going to see if we can limit that uh, for some time um, so that we can give him a break so that he can get better. Um, but, he, but he's in very good spirits. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it uh, has such potential to be such a happy season for us. But there's also difficulties in people that we've lost in the past year or in many years past not being able to see them over the holidays. We feel the burden, the pain of this human life and its finality. We feel the stress uh, that comes on us in this season and what's coming in the new year. We wonder if we're doing enough. People wonder out loud if we're doing enough. Be present with us, Lord, in this season. Show us what young people are capable of in this season. Show us what your son being incarnate, coming to this world to teach us and heal us and feed us, what we are capable of because of that in this season. Help us, Lord, to consider those in our church family and outside our church family that so desperately need you and help us to be filled by your text and your songs and your prayers so that we may go help them. Be with us, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Luke 2, 
Jesus jumps immediately from being an infant to an adolescent. And in this text, um, this is the only time we're going to see him in between that infant stage and the adult stage. And in fact, John, the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Mark don't cover this topic at all. Uh, it's interesting to me to see which Gospels, what they choose to cover, and what message they want to make sure we understand. So we'll see what Luke says. Luke 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to his custom. So I think it's always important to note the phrase going to Jerusalem. Throughout history, there have been horrifying instances of anti-Semitism. And even worse than that, a number of those instances have been perpetuated perpetrated in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you Jewish people are horrific. That's not right. If you look at the way Jesus' family, how faithful they were, and how he went to temple, and he was so faithful, those are his people. It's a total disregard for Jesus' heritage to figure that anyone that has anything to do with the Jewish faith is wrong and horrible, and they're the ones that did something awful, and I'm so glad we didn't do that. We're just sitting here and we're fine. Ron Allen is a professor at Christian Theological Seminary, and this is what he said. The emphasis on Jesus in the temple and his interaction with the teachers of Israel plays an important role in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Jesus was immersed in Judaism since his youth and speaks as an insider with thorough knowledge. So let me give you a couple of images with that. Um, one, I've gone into several churches now at being the new minister. And each time I go, I know a little bit more than the last time I started. But I don't know any more about the congregation. I still have to learn a great deal about the congregation that I'm serving. What I've learned each time that I go along is that it takes a great deal of time to understand the congregation before you want to make any major changes. Okay? Jesus knew that scripture inside out. And so when he was interpreting it, or reinterpreting it, and people said, "How? who are you to do this sort of thing? They had to understand that he knew what he was talking about because he understood what was going on with them. It's critical for them to understand and for us to understand as well. Speaks as an insider with thorough knowledge. And the other part is the Luke and Acts. Um, there aren't that many sequels that are great, in, what, in preparing to take my children to see the Star Wars movie in the theater. I've never seen the Star Wars movie in the theater. We've watched the first three. And, you know, that second one and that third one are amongst the only few uh, sequels that are, have any quality whatsoever. Acts is a sequel to Luke, written most likely by the same author. And all throughout Acts and Luke, this author is really emphasizing Jesus is from you. He understands you, and he's going to reshape you in this message that we want to hear. So the next phrase, while already in town. This is important. It's an important line from the text because how many instances are there 
of human beings in the Bible who were on their way onto something when something else happened to them and they were totally diverted. In fact, Jesus was going somewhere one day and a man came to him and said, my daughter is very ill. So he's already on this path. And he says, my daughter is very ill. He comes down this path. While on this path, a woman touches him who's been ill for a number of years and all of a sudden he's going back this path. Okay? While he's talking to her, they say something's happened with Jairus' daughter, so he's going back on this path. Over and over and over again, somebody's on their way to something when something truly important happens. Think about that when you are interrupted in some way, shape, or form. I have to think about it all the time because I'm interrupted all the time in the life of the church doing one particular thing and go to another particular thing. The second thing from that text is the Passover. What are we celebrating there? We're celebrating that God came amongst God's people and helped them escape from Egypt. These people are to put a mark over their door. And anyone who didn't have a mark over their door was going to experience something so horrific that they were willing to let these Israelites go from Egypt and go on their way. And so Jesus and his family are traveling to Jerusalem for this annual event to celebrate God coming to them. Same thing I was talking about Christmas Eve. Coming to them in order to help them. And Jesus has actions and wisdom that are beyond the comprehension of the people in that temple. The interesting part about that to me, you know, every time I read a scripture a different way, a different, in a different place, at a different age, at a different time, I now have a 12-year-old. And there are times now when I'm doing something and she says something and it's smarter than the thing I was thinking. Or she points out something to me that, um, you remember when you said never to whatever? You realize that that's what you're doing? And I go, oh, man. Of all the things you pay attention to, this is what you're paying attention to. Think what 12-year-olds are capable of. Think what adolescents are capable of. All of January, we're going to build towards a service on the 31st that will be in here at 10 o'clock. It's a combined service celebrating children and youth. And this scripture kicks it off. A 12-year-old, an adolescent, was there learning. Verse 43 says, After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So let's look at a phrase for this paragraph. Total panic. Okay, when you desperately are looking for something, I don't know if y'all have a better practice than I do, but I go back to the exact same spots without really changing anything three or four times and then spin around in a circle and then... Katie helps me find it. In fact, she gave me one of those devices you put on your keychain um, where you can pull it up on your phone and it'll ring. This thing will make a noise so that you can find your keys if you're not one of those people that just walks in the door and puts them in the spot where you're supposed to put them. Can we just do that? No. So we're going to have to get this. 
In fact, yesterday I was looking for them, pulled up the app, tried to make it make a sound, and know what it said? Out of range. I was like, what's the point? But when you are desperately, desperately, I'm, let's just say that's user error and not Tile's fault. You're desperately looking for something. There's only a few times I've been in a major department store and I'm looking around for the girls, or actually in that cemetery, we ride bikes all the time, and they go over a hill, and they've been over that hill a long time. And you go, you know, you get a little something on the back of your neck, a little panicky feeling. Your brain makes assumptions about where things are and just sort of overrides panicking thoughts. You just sort of walk along, and you don't see Jesus. And the men are walking with the men, and the women are walking with the women, and the children are with each other, and they're stopping and kicking rocks. We're begging them to come on, please come on. And then you turn around, he's not there. That would be horrifying to not know where he was. Christmas Eve, I realized I had made a mistake of assuming something the minute we started the first hymn. I don't know how many of y'all were there at Christmas Eve, and Don started into the hymn, and he did sort of a fanfare deal. And when he does the uh, fanfare, he's starting something that's not absolutely starting when it's starting. I just look over to the choir, and then I know when to start. And I looked over there, and there's nobody there. There's no choir. Everybody's out there. And I can't look at Lauren because he's behind somebody. And so I realize as he's firing this up and we're about to potentially go into the first hymn, first stanza, I'm the one that's starting this. And about the time I decided, he started going into the stanza, and I thought, are we supposed to start? I don't know if it's, I'm just going to sit here. And it was a little fancier than it normally would be, and I thought, okay, good, good, good. And then I looked at Lauren, you know, and he started to breathe on the second time it came around. You know, when you make an, you know, I can't imagine how much time we poured into what that service was going to be, and there's still something. There's still something where you're thinking, what on earth is going to happen this time with this thing? <coughs> that total panic. And picture the fact that she was told that he's going to do something beyond special. Think how panicky she would be about him, uh, her being in care for him. In January of 2000, I was driving back to school from Rock Hill, and I had just got my Citadel ring, and it was snowing. And there was too much snow in my car. I pulled off on I-77, I threw the snow off, and I got back in the car and started going back. I was supposed to be there at 10.30. It's a three-hour trip. I left at 7.29. Okay? Slung, you know, slung it on there, go down the road. I go down the road 20 miles, and I look, and my ring's not there. It's gone. It's gone because when I was slinging the ice, my fingers got so thin that it just, it just slung off. I'm talking about the thing that I've heard about for so long. And the only one, I don't care if I get a duplicate, I wanted the one that was mine. The only thing I knew was that there was by an interstate rail, by a railing along the interstate. You won't believe how many railings there are on the interstate on I-77. I didn't do it the best way. I went back a bridge, and then I'd look, and then I'd go back another bridge, and then I'd look, and then I'd go back another bridge, and I'd look. I should have gone all the way back. I went all the way back, I looked at the rail, and, and just gave up. And then I saw a little part of the seal that was there, and it was, that was it. And I picked it up, and it was bent horrifically, but it was mine, and I found it. 
And I had never, ever, ever gone to the lake or the beach or anything without taking it off and leaving it at home. Because of that moment, that feeling, this thing, and total panic. And then when you find it. Of course, the phrase is, the last place you look. In the temple, listening, asking, answering. A 12-year-old is doing this. And is dazzling them with what he says and what he asks. He's raised in the way, he's learning the text, but he's also the text embodied. He's, he's the text alive for those men in that room. Interpreting, clarifying, and in fact, changing what they're saying. Let's look at the second quote. Christians often find themselves in disagreement with other Christians. One group proclaims the Christian way and condemns as unchristian those who hold other interpretations. So if Jesus was there and was reinterpreting and was changing things, do you think that that is the end of the interpreting of Scripture, what he said, and then we're done? It's a heavy debate. And most Christians hold a particular line that they think, this is about right, this is about where I think this ought to land. And it's a combination of what their parents told them, what their churches told them, what they've heard in Sunday school, and what they've experienced. I think if you had a pie chart of the establishment and the belief of the people, experience would be huge on that pie chart. I mean, somebody believes a certain thing, have uh, um, something happened in their family or something happened in their work, something jumped, some drastic change, that changes the way they feel about God, about Jesus. And sometimes it's a entirely negative way, and then sometimes it's an entirely positive way. I think picturing Jesus, a 12-year-old, teaching those men, we've got to consider the fact that there are certain things that we hold that we think, this is the only way to think this, that perhaps that might be changing. Verse 48 says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So everybody thinks of sweet Mary as the mother. Did she give him a hug first? Let's yell. Would y'all go yell, hug, or hug, yell? Which one? Yeah, who knows? 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Don't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was trying to say to them. Uh... Let's, let's not go with a smart response back. That's what I might say as a, as a parent. I mean, you're Jesus. That's fine. And I did come at you with the yelling before the hugging. But he came back and said, you know, this is where I had to be. And there are multiple instances in the Bible of which this makes Jesus, this ties Jesus back to them. Okay? There were women, um, with like, you know, like Hannah and Samuel in the Old Testament where she said, if I could just have a baby, I'll give him to you. Okay, and then she does have a baby. And then she does give him to the temple. Okay, Jesus is, when a gospel writer ties Jesus that way to an ancient person who is part of that belief structure, then people start to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. This is my house. 
This is where I'm supposed to be. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his, measured, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Where did you hear that before? Christmas Eve. Think about all those people that were coming, those shepherds, those wise men, the animals doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Anyone who was coming in there, and they all were wondering what he was, and they were all wondering what he could do for them. And his mother, said, his mother just treasured it. And in this moment, again, Mary is treasuring it in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, showing he's truly human. He didn't come 100%, no questions, ready. He's human. He's learning. He's understanding what it's like to be human. So January theme for worship is going to be, as I said, focused on children and youth. This spring is going to be the first confirmation class I have with this church. And that's going to be total fun to be participating in their lives. It's going to be the first time I have a confirmand in my class that's a child. That's going to be different and fun. And setting the tone will be liturgy about baptism, liturgy about communion, liturgy about children and the incarnation and how we can um, be present for them. When we come on the 31st here at 10 o'clock, all month long we will have talked about the promise that we make at baptism. We have one at 11 today. You remember the words that we say with our prayers? our presence, our gifts, our service. And there's one more since last general conference, witness. Okay? So um, next week we're going to talk about prayers. The 10th we're going to talk about presence. 17th we're going to talk about prayers, presence, gifts. 24th we're going to talk about service. And the 31st is going to be witness. Our children and our youth and I are all going to celebrate our commitment to gaining wisdom and loving our children in this church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we lead busy lives and they're complicated and they distract us. At times we lose focus. At times we figured we've learned everything we need to learn. But there's those special times in which we see a child teach us something magical. Open our hearts and minds to your children in the coming month, Lord, and help us to keep them open at this church. That we may teach them and that we may learn from them. That we may live in the way that your son taught us to live. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and read our affirmation together. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God, who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit, we trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, 
our judge, and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. We'll now collect our tithes and other offerings. Please stand and sing with us again.
Christ, the love of God, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen. Amen.